0: The Lord be with you.
1: And with your spirit.
0: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John.
1: Glory to you, O Lord.
0: As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. He spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and smeared the clay on his eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of psyllium, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back able to see. His neighbors and those who had seen him earlier as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is. But others said, No, he just looks like him. He said, I am they brought the one who was once blind to the Pharisees. Now Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes on a Sabbath. So then the Pharisees also asked him how he was able to see. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I can see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinful man do such things? And there was a division among them. So they said to the man born blind, what do you have to say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. They answered him and said, You were born totally in sin, and are you now trying to teach us? Then they threw him out. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he found him and said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. And the one speaking with you is he. He said, I do believe, Lord. And he worshiped him. The gospel of the Lord.
1: Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: rejoice. Rejoice. Today is Laetare Sunday. L-A-E-T-R-A-E. Laetare means?
0: Rejoice.
2: Okay, we're going to try this again. Not a trick question. I know we sprung forward. We all lost an hour. (laughs) Let's try this again. Laetare means? Rejoice. Rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord. We're on the midpoint of Lent and an expectation of the coming of the Lord and his life at the resurrection is Ever near, and we rejoice because we have this beautiful story from uh, the scrutiny, the RCA readings in year A of the healing of the man who was born blind, the restoration of sight, who's someone who literally their whole life was darkness. Imagine just never being able to see a world perpetually filled with darkness, and a beautiful story. In fact. The richness of the entire story is so profound. There's there's so many things to unpack. It's almost the story of our whole spiritual life. We could do like a forty day Lenten retreat just on this story. And so this morning, I just want to pick out one particular aspect, one moment, kind of zero in, focus in on that, and pack it a little bit. All right, you ready for that? It's that moment when Jesus tells the blind man, "Go and wash. Go and wash." in the pool of Siloam. And it's unusual or distinctive, this moment, because normally when Jesus heals, he does so immediately with with a word or a gesture, right? When he heals the lepers that come, remember the, the, the nine that aren't quite as grateful as the one? You know, he says, go, show yourself to the priest, right? Be made clean, and they're made clean, right? Or uh, the centurion, we know that, that, that Roman soldier comes, and he says, I have a, a servant who is dying. And Jesus makes, okay, let's go. And he says, no, 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 you don't need to come, right? You don't need to come. He says, he goes, in fact, I'm not worthy. We say this right before communion, right? I'm not worthy that you should enter. But just do what? Only say the, just say the word. And like that, he was healed. Or next week, the raising of Lazarus, the greatest miracle. of Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead, how does that happen? Jesus simply says, Lazarus, come on out, right? Come forth, and it happens. So it's unusual that Jesus heals, but he doesn't simply extend his hand or say to the man, see, or have your sight restored. But he does this kind of intermediary step. There's a kind of process there that's interesting and unique. What's that process look like? What might it teach us? Well, what does he do? He bends down into the earth and he does what? He spits and he makes clay. This is maybe a euphemistic way the Bible has for saying he makes a spit pie. In fact, after the, after the last mass, lots of kids at the last mass, family mass, right? So I was out there greeting folks, and I, I said to a group of kids that were there, I said, what did you hear in the gospel? What did Jesus do? And without, you know, just right on a moment's notice, one little boy said, Jesus, spit. I thought, wow, of all the things little boys focus on are here. And the got, Jesus, spit. And so then I was intrigued. I said, okay, what did he do then? Okay, let's follow this up. This is good. And then he, he made a mud pie. And okay, then what did he do? Well, then he rubbed it in the guys on his eyeballs. I said, okay, well, close enough. <laughs> and then his dad intervened at this point and said, you know, not everything Jesus does we should do necessarily. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> Some things Jesus does for our edification, not our uh, imitation in that way. You see, him making little spitballs tonight. Anyway, uh, for sinning for that, that's exactly what Jesus does, you know, in that captivating way. But the response to that then is Jesus says, go wash. And the gospel is very brief here. It says the man goes and he comes back and he's able to see. And here... I just personally, you almost want a little more detail because consider it, this event or this journey from the perspective of the blind man. Here he has, he's got this mud plastered on his eyes, this miraculous mud by, if you will, and you have Jesus saying, go and wash. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, let me lead you by the hand and take you. The man at that moment can't see, he's still blind. I mean, who knows how far is the pool? Like, is it like, you know, 10 feet? Is it 100 yards? I mean, he's got to make this journey in darkness. Jesus doesn't lead him. In fact, it implies that Jesus stays there. The man goes to the pool and then he comes back and then he can see. I think it's interesting because it means for us this healing is achieved in the gospel only when the man trusts in jesus promise and his word and he steps out in that trust even though he's still blind even though he has to we don't know how negotiate the crowd fight his way through everyone who is crowding around jesus find his way to the pool wash without any direct help or immediate help from our lord in this way and it suggests to us us then that if we want to see, if we want the kind of spiritual sight that ultimately this process enables the man to have, because he's not just restored to physical sight, but by the end what happens? He's able to have the spiritual insight to see that Jesus is Lord and to worship him. If we want that same spiritual insight, we too have to walk in darkness. We too have to have journey in life with a sense of unclarity. About our future, but simply trusting in the Lord. And this is a powerful reminder to us. In fact, not just a reminder to us, I think this is precisely what we need to hear right now, <laughs> right? As the we begin to emerge a bit from the pandemic, as perhaps we're looking to establish kind of new normals in our life. There is so much uncertainty and fear in many of our lives, anxiety. I think that the one question that I I get over and over again in these past weeks and months is, Father, I I just, I'm scared or I'm anxious or I'm fearful. How do I know what God wants me to do? How can I have the clarity of sight, that spiritual sight, to know where God will lead me? And our gospel suggests then that even amongst fear, anxiety, perhaps the darkness of our lives, the Lord is asking us to step out in trust and only when we step out in trust? Do we begin to have a glimpse of the Lord leading us in that way? Let me share with you, I think, a powerful illustration of that sense of trust. Uh, a number of years ago, there was a, a Jesuit ethicist. Now, from a Dominican perspective, putting the words Jesuit and ethicist together is ripe for some kind of joke. It's Latari Sunday, so I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna hit the punchline. You, you, you provide your own zinger there, <laughs> but He just had finished his doctorate from the Catholic University of America. And he had several options in front of him, either to pursue uh, kind of uh, academic sort of life or perhaps a more pastoral uh, endeavor. And so in order to discern, he went on a a summer uh, volunteer pilgrimage, if you will, uh, to Calcutta, India, to the House of the Dying which is staffed uh, by the missionary of charity, right? The, the, those uh, sisters of Mother Teresa. And he spent a summer there, a, few, a number of months there. And as he prepared to go back uh, to return to the States, he actually had a conversation with, with Mother herself. While she, this is while she was still alive. And, and they had a conversation, a brief conversation. And at the end of that conversation, he asked Mother, Mother, please pray for me pray that I have clarity to see where God wants me to do on this path or perhaps a more pastoral another path. And she responded, no. And it shocked him. <laughs> I mean, imagine you ask Mother Priest for prayers and she says no. <laughs> it's like, ooh, what, what's going on here? Why? And she said, clarity is the final thing you need to let go of. You need to let go go of the desire to have to know, to see the way clear before you. What you need is trust. You need trust that God will guide you. If you stay close to the Lord, he will guide you. And his response, I think, was normal. It was normal. It was something I might have said myself. Well, that's easy for you to say. You're Mother Teresa, right? (laughs) You've always had a sense of clarity and seeing vi- the vision of caring for the poorest of the poor and uh, inviting others in uh, the great movement uh, in that order. And her response, and we know so well now from uh, her spiritual director in publishing uh, that Come Be My Light of her own struggle spiritually, she said, I've never had a day, and this is corroborated later on, where I had clarity of god's presence in my life in fact we know this ever since she started her ministry, once she started that kind of public phase of her life she didn't even have any a real experience of that god existed there was darkness there total and complete darkness and yet all that i do is an expression of trust that god will bless what i'm doing that god will guide me with my doing there's no sense of vision or spiritual sight, there's trust. So she says, I, I will pray for you. <laughs> I will pray for you, but I pray not that you have clarity, but you have trust that God will guide you. For all of us, we ask the Lord that we might trust in him. And how amidst our fears and anxieties might our trust be strengthened? Well here, I, I think to those Lenten uh, practices that we have, those three kind of general categories of discipline, what are they, They're, uh, well, I'm going to be all asking. We'll see if, how awake we are here. There are what? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. First of all, prayer. I think of that great prayer right, right here, just in my line of sight here. Uh, the divine mercy and the divine mercy activated by that prayer. Lord Jesus, what? I Lord Jesus, I trust in you. Six words. Lord Jesus, I trust in you. What if every day, like Mother Teresa, we woke up and we said, hello, Jesus, <laughs> as we see often, was said to say, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. No matter what the day brings me, whatever struggles, travails, joys, sorrows, I trust in your presence today. Fasting, what is fasting if not letting go of things in our life, both good and bad, well, those comforts and the bad behavior, letting go of that, and perhaps even letting go of the need for clarity in our lives. Perhaps even letting go of having to see and having, in a sense, assurance before we step out, a sense of trust. Finally, almsgiving, that is, being entrusted with the gifts that we've been given, we trust that the Lord will bless us as we extend blessings, time, talent, treasure, to others who are in need. And particularly in almsgiving, we as a parish every year have a kind of way that we join together in a communal act of almsgiving, uh, in the past, it had been uh, kind of the, the rice bowl that you're familiar with, that little you fill up with coins. In the last few years, been very uh, successful in the, the Lenten Water Challenge, if you remember that, raising money for those who don't have a potable water in the United States, particularly on reservations. Uh, this year, though, we're, we're, we're a little bit more focused on our present local need, especially through community services in our Lima Center. We, uh, here at the parish, have a, a center where folks come, the homeless and those who are materially disadvantaged can come to just get basics of, of food and hygiene. And although the need, as you might imagine, has gone up, unfortunately in these last few months, uh, our donations and support have gone down. And so today we want to focus this year, our Lenten alms almsgiving uh, on once again, remembering those who are kind of living in our midst and perhaps to give you uh, a sense, in a wider sense and more insightful, uh, kind of ways in which this uh, assistance helps those around us, I want to invite a Brother Michael James, who is our director of community service here, to share a little bit about how your almsgiving might make a difference uh, for uh, the people in our area. So I invite Brother Michael James to come and share with us.
1: Good morning. Good morning. So as Father Michael said, my name is Brother Michael James. I'm the Director of Community Services and the Lima Center. And many people don't realize that even with the pandemic, the Lima Center at St. Dominic's has continued to function for the past year. We can't have people inside like we used to, so we quickly pivoted and created a lunch to go program. And so a lot of prisoners, especially in the beginning, were very helpful in that dropping off or shipping to us uh, items for the lunch and snack bags, which was especially important in that time where we couldn't do the shopping in large quantities like we really needed. Unfortunately, as the year went on, donations uh, to the Lima Center and community outreach decreased. As you know, we couldn't have a lot of our regular fundraising things like the Harvest Bake Sale or the Valentine's Dance or so many different little things that were ways for us to raise funds. There have been a few bright spots, I'm happy to say. We received a few bequests um, from estates, individuals that directed those gifts to the Lima Center and community outreach. And then of course, we were able to collect the gift cards at Christmas time. That was a real blessing. So thank you to all of, those, all of you who participated in that. And then a few weeks ago, the mom of one of our youngest parishioners, a little girl named Sophie, wrote to me to say that her daughter had become an entrepreneur. And started a little business selling painted rocks and pottery outside of their home um, just to neighbors and things like that and so Sophie wanted to know how much it costs to feed one of our guests at the Lima Center because she wants the proceeds of her business to come to um, those in need so I uh, crunched the numbers and it's actually very interesting because we buy in bulk five dollars actually goes a long way so that provides a ham and cheese sandwich, which was prepared by our Dominican sisters of San Rafael across the street. They make those two times a week for us to give out. A bag of potato chips, a Capri Sun, uh, applesauce, pastry, a cup of coffee with cream and sugar, and then a hot serving of food. So it could be anything like chili or spaghetti or mac and cheese, um, lasagna, something that they're able, something warm that they're able to, to receive. Since we're open four days a week, that means it costs $20 to feed one guest every day during the week. And then another $5 allows us to provide them with a pair of socks, a pair of underwear, and a simple hygiene kit so they can comb their hair, brush their teeth, wash their hands with soap. And so in total, it costs $25 to support one of our guests for a week. And then with the number of guests during the week varying, sometimes it's 40, sometimes it's 70 a day, it just depends, that's anywhere between $1,000 to $1,750 to cover supplies for the Lima Center for one week. So that's kind of how our budget works in terms of what it takes. So today I have a simple request for you. For the rest of Lent, at least until Holy Thursday when we take up our usual collection for the poor in the Lima Center, we're asking you to think about what you can give to support this ministry, to provide food for those who are hungry, to give a drink of water or in this case coffee to those who are thirsty uh, to put a pair of socks on the feet of those who basically spend the whole day walking around because they don't have a home to go back to whether it's five dollars or twenty five a hundred or a thousand every bit helps it helps us in serving those our brothers and sisters who are most in need especially here around St Dominic